spine and sprocket. The book to read is not the one that thinks for you, but the one which makes you think. A classic is a book that is never finished saying what it has to say. No two persons ever read the same book. That is part of the beauty of all literature. You discover that your longings are universal longings, that you're not lonely and isolated from anyone. You belong. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that this world was being watched keenly and closely by intelligences greater than man's and yet as mortal as his own. That as men busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacency, men went to and fro over this globe about their affairs, serene in their assurance of their empire over matter. It is possible that the infusoria under the microscope do the same. No one gave a thought to the older worlds of space as sources of human danger, or thought of them only to dismiss the idea of life upon them as impossible or improbable. It is curious to recall some of the mental habits of those departed days. At most, terrestrial men fancied there might be other men upon Mars, perhaps inferior to themselves and ready to welcome a missionary enterprise. Yet, across the gulf of space, minds that are to our minds, as ours are to the beasts that perish, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes, and slowly and surely they drew their plans against us. And early in the 20th century, came the great disillusionment. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spine, Spine and Sprocket. Wow. It's the one and only podcast on the internet that talks about books and movies. That's right. It's the only <laughs> one. There are no others. You know, we may be the only one that does the same book and same movie at the same time, now that we found our format. We or found our niche. We've got a niche. Maybe, maybe not. We've got a shtick. Probably yeah. not. But I'm Dave. I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. And I'm Cranky. Most of the time you are. No, I'm Jeff. <laughs> Jeff and Cranky. And tonight we are talking about the fabulous book and... Uh, next time films. Next time the films, War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells. Herbert George Wells. Not to be confused by any of the other Wellses. Who may have made a radio... Yeah dramatization of said book mike did you have time to read the book this week oh yeah last week yeah a couple of weeks ago actually yeah you're always the first one done of all of us <laughs> <laughs> i put down my civil war book and picked this one up for a few nights it's actually a short book it is a pretty short book yeah it's a couple short, yeah. a couple hundred pages and uh really enjoyed it it is a novel because uh, it said so on wikipedia yeah yes mm-hmm. <laughs> And Dennis, like you, you usually, didn't know? usually don't re- reread and rewatch because you rely on your massive. Uh, when it comes to knowledge. movies, I usually don't rewatch, but I will reread. Did you reread this book? Yes. Oh, oh, excellent. excellent. And what'd you think? I've always enjoyed uh, all of Wells' work, so 
this one, though, I would put at probably the top. Agreed. This was a very special reading for me because this was the first adult book I think I ever read. Well, really? That I can you talk about. You need to about. get out more with the guys on... Uh, <laughs> well, no, I don't mean this particular this reading. This past week? Parties. Not this, not this rereading, but... <laughs> oh, you mean adult, not... Yeah, back in fifth, uh, sixth grade, I read this. Yeah. I bought this book from the Scholastic Book Club, if anybody remembers yes, that. Absolutely, from the old yeah. days of yesteryear. Yes. I don't know, are they still around? Um, well, now, yes, they are. And now the... Um, they don't do those, at least in my school, they don't get those monthly. Did you get those little monthly yep. order forms from yeah. the publisher? Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. would order a Scholastic book, and like my it parents would buy me like It was such three. an exciting day when the books came <laughs> in. It was books, just great. That was a big deal. It, it was, was a really a big deal. Yeah. Um, well, I, I read it as a family classic in comic book form first. Oh, yes. Really? I'd like to see that one. Do you have it still at your house? No, I wish I did. I don't have any of those anymore. Oh, that's too bad. I've got this. I've got the book that I bought in fifth grade here. Oh, sixth grade, sorry. That looks familiar to me. H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds for 50 cents. And uh, I loved this book. And I even wrote the girl. I, I had a crush on a girl. <laughs> I wrote. I wrote her name in the Janice. Along the edge, Janice Holdcamp. Janice, if you're listening, which she probably is. There's a shout out from Jeff. You pro- I'm sure you remember me. But look at that. Look at that. That copy. is amazing, Jeff. Yeah. He really turned out well. What the heck yeah, is this? What is this drawing on the back? I'm not sure what that is. I think I was drawing something maybe. Or something? I think I drew something lewd. <laughs> Not in sixth grade. Yeah, I drew something lewd and then decided to cover it up with a lot of other scribbles. But this the great. I, I remember loving this book in sixth grade and still loving it. 1979. Why did you write two dates inside? 22879? Uh, I read it. I read it in. I read it again in 1979 and I dated it. Both dates are 79. That's the start and the end date. Oh, of, yeah. of when you read it. Yeah. Wow. Look yeah. at you. I used to do that with my books because that's yeah. just the kind of guy I am. You know, people like us probably grow up and do podcasts about books because we're that kind of nerd. I'll let you know. <laughs> Look at that. I, I remember this cover. I must have, I, maybe I had this and read it then. Yeah. We'll we'll post that on the, the show. For sure. Yeah. The book was serialized, wasn't it? Yes, it originally appeared in America in Cosmopolitan and in England on in some other magazines. Okay. Yeah, Pearson's, I think, was the name of the magazine in England. It was a fairly new magazine. Well, maybe we should talk about the actual book. Well, actually, I'm just noticing in mind, the text illustrations by Warwick Gable accompanied the debut of War of the Worlds in the pages of Pearson Magazine in 1897. So my book... Oh, has the original illustrations. Yes, okay. although the illustrations of the opening nice. book one and two were drawn by Alvin Careco in 1906. Text is taken from the final book, which Wells revised after its appearance in Pearson, so maybe mine is different. I don't know. But yeah. <clears throat> the book itself, Dennis, did you... Oh, you said you loved the book. Why? I loved it because it showed me uh, that man could overcome things that were, for all practical purposes, looked at by adults as uh, impossible. Uh, The odds against fighting technology that is superior to yours. uh, But but the aliens were killed by the 
virus. Uh, yeah, uh, and that's the fun part of it for me. Oh, we revealed the, the ending already. The oh. fact. Wah, wah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the um, the way in which man went up against them in a defensive mode originally, uh, trying to survive, and then became more and more aggressive and desperate was impressive to me. Well, yeah, they really, yeah, they were desperate, that's for sure. I guess I thought it was more interesting because they didn't control the the outcome. You know, they, they, they just, it just happened that... They had a few success, successes. They did but, have some, yeah. But, yeah. Attacking them, there were some weaknesses. They killed one early on, I think. Because he was outside of his machine, or, or I can't remember. No, I don't remember that. Or did they? Well, the story opens, of course, right? With this uh, very famous opening. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century the world was being watched like ants, you know. That, that mm-hmm. really is a nice uh, setup. The Then the this thing lands, right, from Mars. They see the flaming gas on Mars, and they these things start to crash land on Earth. Just a few days later, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah. yeah. And then the people go out there, observe it in the ground, right? They crash mm-hmm. into the ground. It starts to uh, unscrew. Kind of love the whole way the thing is laid out like that. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that I love about it is that it's one of the first books. Well, and maybe I, I, I guess I'm not that familiar with the, the other books that were written during that time. This one, obviously, being a classic, has lasted all this time. But probably one of the first books that was written about an alien invasion. Nobody had ever done that before, I don't think. Yeah, you... And, I mean, he kind of invented the whole genre, which has built science fiction. It's really one of the founding books of all of science fiction, which is pretty spectacular is for him to to come up with these ideas and and to build it around a story that's so uh, personal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a small town in England, people going about their daily lives, and suddenly these things fall from the sky and, you know, just devastate everything. Yeah, I wonder if it was, I guess it must have been one of the first sci-fi kind of alien invasion kind of stories. Yeah, I mean, you had some Jules Verne, but he didn't really do alien invasion stuff. I mean, before that, you had sort of angels, supernatural, God, and the devil. You know, if it if it was outside of man's experience, it was something like that. Right. Yeah. But now, you know, how I wonder how often or, you know, people thought about aliens even, you know, before this book came out, if he had talked about it with his buddies or... Yeah, I got to think it was it was uh, spectacularly innovative to a lot of people that read it. How close in uh, timeline was this to when the astronomers d- discovered canals on Mars? It was soon after that uh, Percival Lowell is the astronomer that uh, first looked at Mars, was able to look at Mars close enough and discern the colorations that led him to believe that there were canals on Mars. It was perhaps af- there was after some, this? It was before this. Oh, it was before this. So, oh, it, oh, yeah, so Wells knew was... about this at the time. So he incorporated that in think, thinking that maybe uh, Mars was a dying planet 
was was a, some speculation from scientists. And that would be their reason for leaving Mars in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To find a new place to live. So, and yeah, it is neat the way they just drop into ordinary life. And then the uh, they appear out of the aperture and they're described as these, you know, alien brown oily creatures and so on. And I thought the the, the scene with the man at the edge of the pit, like he slid in. Do you remember this Yes, part? right. Yeah, that, that really got me. You know, he says here, uh, rather, uh, with a renewed horror, I saw a round black object bobbing up and down the edge of the pit. It was the head of the shopman who had fallen in, but showing as a little black object against the hot western sun. Now he got his shoulder and knee up, and again he seemed to slip back until only his head was visible, and suddenly he vanished, and I could have fancied a faint shriek reached me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. What's in that pit? Yeah. Really? Then comes the heat ray. Yeah, and really the the style, I love Wells' style because it's, you know, one of the reasons why I love this book is it's 200 pages. If it was written today, it would be 800 pages. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I love the economy of his style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that was normal for those days because you didn't have word processors where you could do 800 pages. It, well, yeah. you know, I guess yeah. Victor Hugo and others would, but would do it. Well, yeah. not that they had word processors, I mean. No. I hope he wasn't no, paid right. by the word. Books. Yeah. <laughs> because that wouldn't work out too well yeah. either. Was it kept short because it was going to be serialized? Oh, that could be, yeah. Because I noticed the chapters were really, some of them, four or five pages only. Right. So that was like... Uh, and serialization in... In newspapers and magazines was popular. It was made popular. I don't know if it was made popular by Dickens, but Dickens really took it to the hmm. to the uh, ultimate example of it. But those were very large books. But I, what I again, what I love about this is how compact it is. He doesn't waste a lot of time. But gosh, he still had a great feeling for what life was like, just ordinary life yes. in the British or the English. Uh, Countryside. countryside, yeah, you made you want to made me want to go there and have tea in Surrey and <laughs> have get a little supper and uh, maybe go over to the blacksmith. And what's also nice, they set it in real place. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not a fictional towns, right? Oh yeah, and talking about the train schedule and this bridge and yeah, it was it's, yeah, it made me want to, and I haven't done it yet, but I wanted to go look at the maps right away and and try and identify where they were. <laughs> Yeah, and so of course, well, the other Wells, Orson, Orson made the famous radio play that you know also um, set in a real town that helped make that more effective for listeners. Yeah, to hear that. But the other thing about the book was the um, the fact that he was you knew from page one that he had survived whatever had gone on. You didn't really know that. Okay, maybe the Martians had completely taken over and he was maybe some kind of slave or he was in exile. You didn't really know how he ended up, but you know he survived it all. Correct. Yeah. So that was kind of kind of interesting. And then at some point he kind of gives it away that that it's going to all be okay, but still a lot of bad things happen to him, but you still got the impression that yeah, it's going to end well for humanity. I forget exactly what point that happened, but you really didn't know that for the first 100, 120 pages or so, that uh, you only knew that he was going to survive and you weren't sure in, in what state or, you know, what condition he was going to be in. Correct, yeah. So that was that made it interesting, the, the whole 
you're trying to think how's he how's he going to get out of this? <laughs> yeah, you know he does, but how how's it going to happen? You yeah. Know? And when he does a nice job of how he then reaches home and people are asking news from the common, you know, and, and they're getting different stories and people are dis- in disbelief, laughing. Oh, yeah, the Martians, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, no, you better run, I'm telling you, right? Kind of thing was going on also as he reaches home, talks to his wife there. And we never know this guy's name. He's, oh, the, he's the narrator. Oh. It's all written in first person. His name is... Never mentioned. His wife's name is never mentioned. You're right. Which I think is really an an interesting, you know, when you think about writers who stare at a blank page and they can create whatever they want, but he chose to create it in this way. First person, no names, uh, no name for himself. And uh, going back and forth a little bit, he would sometimes sort of parenthetically say, this was happening to me right now. Later I was to learn yes. that it was going to, that it meant this and this. But right now I was confused mm. about it, which I yeah. thought was an interesting way of doing yeah. that too. And I, I don't know what it means exactly. I just I just noticed that he would use that style. Well, I was and it came across well. a little confused on one item in the book. The dog cart? Yeah, the dog cart, right. What is that? A cart pulled by dogs? No, I don't. Um, well, it could be if you don't like dogs. Hmm. Maybe a bigger dog. But yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those small two-wheel carts. Oh, you think? Yeah, I do. Okay. I don't know a lot about carts, but... Let's ask Mike. Mike knows a lot about carts. No, I actually don't know that much, but... So then these rays are shooting everything. And, the heat ray, right? yeah. I mean, and that was another thing I thought, you know, 18, whatever this was, 1897 when Wells wrote this. It the is idea a two-wheeled of, cart. It's a two-wheeled cart, yep. okay. Good and job. it has cross seats back-to-back, originally incorporating a box under the seat for a sportsman's dog. Ah. That's why it's a dog cart. Okay. So pulled by a horse. So the yeah. British had dogs, right, for sport. To go out and hunt foxes. Oh and yeah, stuff, right. So maybe that's where they. The place is the place is full of dogs. <laughs> I've been I to England. You'll it's... see a cart like that in a movie, The Quiet Man with oh, John okay. Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I remember seeing people seated back to back. Back to back, yeah. And there was a space underneath. Wow. But okay. you have no idea. I mean, at the time, I had no idea yeah. what it might have been for other than storage. But a, a dog staying there would just yeah. make it yeah. sense as pulled much by, sense. Pulled by a horse, right? Or mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and the poor uh, the poor horse, is that he's riding in the dog cart. He takes his wife to a nearby village mm-hmm. to uh, get bring her to safety because of all the goings-on around Horsell Commons. Then he comes back home to return the cart where he borrowed it and uh the horse flips or the cart flips maybe the cart flips kills the horse yeah yeah poor horse felt That's bad right, yeah. i felt bad then i had to stop reading for a while well, <laughs> i felt so bad you and your animal loving yeah i'm no, sorry <laughs> and then he so he goes home and then Are he martians he, like animals to you or <laughs> no 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 i okay. didn't feel bad about the martians really okay all right all. okay yeah he he goes home. I like that he goes home and and 
you know what I like? He goes home and he pours himself a whiskey because he needs to kind of <laughs> yeah. think things through. Yeah. And I, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's and it. then he goes up to his study and he's looking out the window. I just always thought this was a great scene for some reason, him looking out the window at the devastation and and he can sort of over the hill imagine what's going on because he knows there's sound coming from the pit and the Martians are doing something and they're getting ready to move and there's just some tension there. Mm-hmm. And then the artilleryman shows up at his house, creeps in. Right. Who has, uh, the, the army had showed up and set up, but apparently they were not doing very well because the artilleryman was... Yeah. Running away. Uh, running away, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love this part. He's The artilleryman is describing what he had seen. And in one part, he was describing how uh, one of the Martian machines was picking up people and kind of gathering, peop- gathering people up and, I don't know what, mm. killing them. But he said, the, the narrator says, he, meaning the artilleryman, saw one of the machines pursue a man, catch him up in its steely tentacles, and knock his head against the trunk of a pine tree. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. I and I just like, yeah. you can, that's such an economical sentence. <laughs> but you can you can feel his knocking that head, you know, like, you can just hear yeah. that. I'm guessing the guy didn't uh, probably last past no. the knock. Especially because you find out later what they do with the people, right? So, yeah. yes. So he didn't. Probably would have been better. They forced them been... to dance. They forced them to dress exotically and dance around with uh, feathers. Was that ever made really clear here? The dancing? I don't think <laughs> the so. The dancing? No, I, I don't remember that. What happened to the people? Yeah. They were oh, supposed yeah. to feed the plants? Oh, yes. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting so, ahead of ourselves. So they come out of the tripods, start to emerge, right? Yes. This is right. a very. A very interesting um, kind of spaceship, right? I think this tripods with these tentacle things yeah. flapping around. Yeah. Uh, and I think at one point I thought it was a little bit silly, but I really got into it, well, I, to say the movie review of that Spielberg version was true to the um, alien ships being these tripody things that yeah. are walking around with these tentacles lashing around. Yeah. It, it ended up working pretty well, so I've, I've kind of become a fan of it. And the illustrations here of mine, um, your cover, Jeff, doesn't have the tentacles. No, no, my cover. So, and, you know, as is typical, uh, I based all my knowledge about the tripods on the cover of the book. And I had never seen any other, I had never seen any other uh, illustrations of it. Dave's got a book full of illustrations. And, of course, Dennis. That was in the original. Dennis read the comic book. Yeah, tentacles flying around these ships. Oh yeah, there's all tentacles the all over the place, whipping all around yeah. these things. So they're pretty, pretty creepy in a way too. Yeah. yeah. And then they start. Uh, well, the battle happens. The army's routed. Is that? I'm confusing yeah. the movie with the book or yes? Yeah. No, no, yeah. they're routed. Bows and arrows against the lightning. Is that a line from this book or is that from that record album? That's from the record. Well, I think it's. I think it's in the book. Uh, most of the text from the Jeff Wayne's musical version of the War of the Worlds was lifted directly from the. H.G. Wells text. Have you ever heard that one? Then? Are you familiar with that, Mike? No, no. What is okay. it? It's a Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds record album. Oh no, I, I rock haven't... opera. It's oh, a, yeah, okay. it's a musical version of the War okay. of the Worlds. And I really? kind of okay. well, I got into it because it is what it is. But yeah. I was a Moody Blues fan, and there's a song on there I love that they did. Different artists or diff- wrote and contributed. 
Yeah. Moody Blues did that. Oh, um, okay. Through autumn, Forever Autumn. Golden Gown. We yeah. used to kick our way. Do, 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 yeah. Do. But I digress. <laughs> and my, my favorite song in it is... is um, here come the Martians. Here come the Martians. That's a, one of the best parts no, of the. Oh, no. no, that's not in there. <clears throat> Thunderchild. No, it's. Song about that. <clears throat> you know, I think we certainly have to mention the fact that this book has spawned a lot of follow ups. A whole lot. And I got movies. A, I have a lot TV on shows. Um, record albums. Obviously, Jeff Wayne's musical version. If people haven't listened to that, that's really. Quite spectacular. That was a big hit in Britain. That stayed on the top of the British charts for years, years and years and years. So go out and buy that. I mean, it's just really uh, an intriguing story. So then, what happens? All right. So they're. What's next? Um. Well, they're they're he's running again. Yeah. And does he meet the? Uh, I saw uh, chapter twelve. What I saw of the destruction of Weybridge and Shepperton. I think this is where the guy gets caught up. Yeah, there's even an illustration, but his head's not hitting the tree, Jeff. Oh, yeah. darn. I just want to uh, see that. Orphanage. Who does he get trapped with in the, yeah, in here's, the house? Here's the line. Yeah, it is here. Bows, it's bows and arrows against the lightning anyhow, said the artilleryman. They, have, they haven't seen that fire beam yet. And the officers who were not actively engaged stood and stared at the treetops. So there's another place where they set up this artillery line, and they're hidden in the trees. And don't they take one down there? They took one down, yeah, at some point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they get a hit. And uh, so then that part but happens. The, the Martians learn quickly, and they mm. they respond quickly. Yeah. And they the heat ray is pretty nasty. Yeah, I think they hit the like driver's compartment or something, it seemed like to me. The driver's compartment? Where the aliens were with a direct hit from the show. Oh, yes. Okay. And then it gets gotcha. into chapter okay. 13, which is the curate. The curate is the guy that he gets. He's the, the, the religious guy. Right, that he's stuck with in the, yeah. In the cellar? In the cellar, yeah. Yeah. And he kind of goes uh, not dealing well with the whole thing emotionally. Yeah, well, he's convinced that the Martians are, you know, that we deserve what we're getting. Mm. Yeah, it's God's wrath kind of concept. Right. Then they, they also start to have black smoke. Yes, the what Martians. I, the noxious. Yeah, yeah they had cannon. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't in the movie, the 53 film. So no. no, it wasn't. I grew up on that, and so yeah. I kind of didn't realize about the smoke. Yeah, mostly what they this. talked about was the heat rays in the movies. But yeah, I remember in reading the book from before that they had these like smoke dispensers, like like you see on tanks. And then didn't it turn red somehow? Or Well, it was poisonous gas, right? Because it would go ahead yeah. of them and wipe yeah. out artillery positions hidden in the tree lines right. after right. they got ambushed that one time. Right. I don't. I think there was another red. Mm. Okay. But if you think about the time that this was written, this was all pretty pretty scary stuff. I mean, there was, there was a lot of fear in England at the time about uh, the victory. It was the Victorian era was just had just peaked and was starting to to feel the pressure of European nations and feel the pressure of how big the British Empire was and how it couldn't support its own weight. Mm. But they would, people worried about invasions from Germany and invasions mm-hmm. from Europe and people worried about war. And so... Uh, More so for the radio broadcast by 39. 
Because that well, was I, th- that also played. Oh, World War One is coming up, right ahead of this novel, <clears throat> right. Well, was it a, but, like a technology warning? Like the automobile had come out, electricity was coming out, the phone, the movies. I, was it like you know? Wait I've a tried minute, to, we better. I, I've tried to kind of figure out what the book was about. Yeah, what what he was talking about. If if anything, I've also read that he just sort of enjoyed the idea of as he walked around his countryside, and he lived in a in a very similar area. Mm-hmm. He walked around the countryside and imagined his neighbor's homes being burned up by heat ray from Martians and was sort of enamored with, and it amused him, Nice guy. the idea. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I always wonder this about artists. As an artist, you, you know, you can see people who stand in front of a painting and they'll talk about it for hours. Oh, look at his, his use of color. Oh, and Dave, Dave being an art major could talk about this, who talks about, Oh, you know, and look at the the placement and the oh the the way the light hits and they <laughs> they talk about it for hours. For all we know, the artist just yeah yeah drew some stuff, and that was it. It's same with poets. You know, you get all these different interpretations to poetry, and the poet might just thought, well, it rhymed. Yeah, yeah it made yeah, a rhyme. No, hey, I yeah. thought it was catchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there was some meaning, some deeper? I, I warning or I always wondered because we're right at the edge of the industrial revolution, mm-hmm. you would say. Yeah, uh, and the turn of the century, right? Mm-hmm. Which was uh, which was massive, massive, I mean, and we, yeah, we a lot think of foreboding. Y two K, yeah, but for them, it had to be just as bad, if not worse. Yes, because you're going from a, a major economy that is rural in nature. Yeah. To one that is becoming industrialized and centralized in cities with all of the uh, poisons and Mm -hmm. crowdedness and chances for uh, more interesting versions of the plague Mm -hmm. possible. And that had a prey on people's minds back then uh, because of what happened uh, with the Black Plague and yeah. how it went through that portion of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. So kind of uh, just we're going too fast and we better be careful or like the idea that maybe there is something out there that's has already gone through this and now they're coming after us or what do you, what do you think? I think that's the scary part of it. Uh, really, the, the fact that there's somebody that may have made mistakes which we're about to, and mm. we're actually having to face the results of that before we get to make our own mistakes. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it certainly is a, you know, designed to bring down man's ego mm-hmm. as being the greatest thing in the universe, right? As yeah. Well. yeah, I think so. Um, the introduction in, in my book, I have a really cool book. I have the coolest book ever. It is the... It's got the uh, introduction. It has the original script of the radio broadcast and sociological analysis of the panic. Here is a script. Oh, did I just say that from the radio broadcast? Mm-hmm. Here is the novel, and here at the back is a little treatise about Mars. I think Jeff would like because wow. he loves okay. space and Mars and the planets. Back in here by Ben Bova. Oh, I'm reading a book called Mars 
by Ben Bova. Oh, right now. There you go. He did yeah. this little afterward, and right back here is the CD. It's not in here now because I didn't want to lose it. A CD of the radio recording and some other things. Cool. So yeah. this is the ultimate yeah, War is. of the Worlds book. So the, we're ulti- doing- the only <laughs> book you'd ever need to own about the War of the Worlds. You about would. War of the Worlds. And in the introduction, it's saying that. His book foresaw warfare more mechanized and brutal than any he had seen before. Coming yep. up with Boer War and, and World War One, idea of refugees fleeing London must have seemed incredible in that Victorian age. So two had flying machines and poison gas. Mm. This is his initial publication. Publishers, and then it goes on to talk <clears throat> about these countless inspiration, other things inspired by this, as Jeff was alluding to earlier, but thinking about how the films treat aliens, too, is something to think about, right? For most of the 20th century, beings from outer space were cast as villains. Aren't they? Trying to destroy civilization, and if well, possible... Well, it's best having... to shoot first. <laughs> you know, E.T. would have been a better film uh, if they just popped that guy right in the head, just yeah. right at the beginning. That's where this is going. Although, i got to say this one. And, and then just wait for the mothership. I'll uh, teach you to be popping um, our E.T. in the head. Says the aliens were bent on having their way with Earth women. Oh yeah. Well, who doesn't want to do that? Yeah. Although uh, <laughs> the science fiction literature was way ahead of Hollywood, the Martian Chronicles. Jeff, you're big on this stuff, right? Yeah, Ray Bradbury. Uh, about it and Stranger in a Strange Land about a human raised by enlightened Martians. Robert Heinlein. It's not published till sixty one ish. Yeah. These things. Seventies hmm. and eighties, empathetic extraterrestrials, ET, Close Encounters, and so on. So it's interesting to see that. You know, evolution of what the alien might be uh, in this little introduction here. Did Isaac Asimov write this? No, Ray Ray Bradbury. Well, he ought to know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's writing this great introduction. So, yeah, I think Wells is, uh, H.G., that is, in a lot of ways, very prophetic in his talk about what war will be like. Yeah, it seems like it. I didn't really even think about it, but the poison gas, the refugees, the uh-huh. flying machines. Right. Holy yep. cow. He really hit and it. He, and in a way, uh, you know, played on the fears that were prevalent in those days, which probably is one of the things that made it so popular. But I think that's kind of the way these things work, isn't it? That uh, the things that become popular become popular at that time because it's what's in the minds of the mm-hmm. masses at the time. Yeah. And so it, it's like when somebody goes to Hollywood to make a movie – you know, Hollywood, a lot of Hollywood might say, no, we don't, uh, nobody wants to see a Civil War movie. We, I mean, we haven't seen any Civil War movies right. in a while. They're like, eh, no, nobody wants to see a Civil War movie right now. Um, you know, so these trends kind of come and go. But at, but at that time, I think a book like this was probably really, really grabbed people because they were, they were seeing yeah. technology and things like this come along. But I was bothered, you know, skipping to the end, I was bothered by the fact that the Martians were defeated by nothing that we did, just by Mm. happenstance, and by poor planning on their part. They had a great plan (laughs) to come to the Earth and take it over, but they never thought to bring, like... Bactine. Bactine. (laughs) A gas mask. Antibiotics, yeah. Antibiotics. They're like, oh, we forgot. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess you would have thought they were a little more intelligent than that. Yeah. Or that they'd had experienced that on Mars and knew that that was going to be a, so potentially I, a problem. I don't know if they phoned home, but, you know, yeah. probably if H.G. Wells had written a sequel, the Mars, Martians would have been better prepared. <laughs> 
But then how would we have defeated them? Well, maybe we have been would have been better prepared as well. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he's got the part with the curate. Um, <clears throat> someone had said that like the his intention was to show the the hypocrisy of the religion and so on. But I so I'm reading this expecting to find that. Uh, I think the character of the you know Walking Dead isn't there the the pastor African American mm-hmm. guy. He uh, can't cope with the whole thing. He's struggling, and his like his faith can't sustain him. Kind of a message, and so I, I you know, and with my background and beliefs, you know, I I, I, I think it, literally don't always pick on the, the the religious guy as being the one who you know mm-hmm. can't be the hero. And I just made a note talk about the three guys that gave their life jackets: a rabbi, a priest, and a and a um, pastor. On that sinking ship in World War II, mm-hmm. are you familiar with that? Mm. Yeah, gave up their life jackets. What do you think? That's funny? No. You have something funny? No, 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 nothing funny. <laughs> um, there's, mm. a, there's a song about it that our band plays. Oh, and it's a very famous incident of their sacrificial giving. Um, or Hacksaw Ridge, I was thinking about. Yeah, I didn't see that yet. Oh, oh. good one. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't seen I it. I haven't either. Oh, come on, guys. This is like we do like war movies here a lot. Um, boy, that guy. You know, there's a man of faith, yeah. and he is like yeah. the hero. Um, yeah, I didn't get any reli- I didn't get much of a religious connection between the outcome in the book. Well, well the fifty-three movie, the, the fifty movie. That's pretty much what it is. But well, it does. It does say at the end. He does say that God, in His wisdom, put on the planet, mm-hmm. and He yeah, does pray okay. near the end Himself. Yeah, this, he did. I, I remember that. So yeah. I was surprised to find that. I thought, well, wait, this guy was saying his is kind of like the anti-religion book. Maybe he meant like I don't know what he meant, but I'm like, well, now he's actually turning to prayer. Yeah, even though he may be desperate, but still right. in here. Yeah, Wells didn't have to put that in there. I don't think. No, he didn't no. have to. Um, I don't think he was a religious guy. No, I, think I don't he was think in... particularly. He was. Heard he was quite a womanizer. You can't be re- religious and be a womanizer. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> well, did you jump? Did is, you jump the track there? Or fallen, you... Jeff. But I think you're supposed to. Like Rasputin. There's a great book on Rasputin. We got to do. Okay. Great one. Right. Um, he goes to London. I thought this is very realistic. He he starts to look at all the newspaper accounts. I've read in another account of these events on Sunday morning. All London was electrified by the news from Woking. As a matter of fact, there was nothing to justify the very extravagant phrase. Plenty of Londoners did not hear the Martians. So it does set up, yeah. again, that realistic kind of idea. But the newspaper came out a couple times a day. It's like it's like it would be Twitter now, you know. Yeah. Or Facebook. <clears throat> yeah. That's how you got your information. <laughs> yeah. Was the evening newspaper, whatever happened that day. And uh, And then, of course, in London, it's like a moment of reprieve, right? But that doesn't last long, does it now? No. No, because the cylinders are falling and the Martians are moving. Yep. And, and we never hear about what's going on in the rest of the world. I guess no, at, that, I at that point, there wasn't a lot of uh, global communication. It was as fast as a man could ride a horse. Plus, but Great Britain was the center of the universe, too, though. So. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So it's, yeah. So maybe they just fell there. The British mind. Yeah. Yeah, what do they call it? That little strategic island? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then what happens? The aliens show up and there starts to the the push out of London? Yes, there's a huge exodus from London, which was a pretty terrifying 
Mm-hmm. Oh, he gets caught up. A bunch of sequences. There's a lot of details of how people mistreat other people during that whole Exodus thing. It was yes. like they were more, the other refugees were more threatening than the Martians. Mm-hmm. Right. As the panic, yeah. Right, and turning people's, I mean, really uh, turning people's lives upside down. Because he starts off, you know, the people are very um, English. Mm-hmm. I think that's the word I'm looking for. It could it, be the word, it is, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very English. And we right. as Americans know what that means, but maybe the English don't. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get that survivalistic yes, exactly. behavior of right. people. Yeah. And, and you see people panicans. turning. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it makes me think about that myself as to what uh, how I would react under under similar circumstances. Very you know, heroic, if I would just Jeff. would I would throw yes. everything in the dog cart and just start heading out, or would I stay in the house and hope things would be better, and or just run over that poor child that fell over in the street as they were running yeah, away, and yeah. run him over yeah. with your cart? Yeah, yep. It's really hard to know, but I, I, I like to think I would do well. But like in, in a zombie apocalypse, I think that's one of the attractive things about zombie apocalypses. People wonder about yeah, how they would how, react. How they'd react, yeah. Well, once I was in a pub, well, a bar, trying to sound more English. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm just, I'm just. Were you having an ale? Yeah. <laughs> a pint? Or probably a Budweiser in a can or something. Oh. And this guy grabbed his girl by the neck and shoved her against the wall. Yeah. Wow. Well, here's one of those cases. You don't know how you're going to react. I was up. And grabbing that guy from behind. Oh, and wow. as I'm grabbing his arm to get it off her neck, I'm thinking, oh, this guy's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I'm grabbing him, I'm like, whoa, this guy is strong. He's going to kill me. And right then, two bouncers appeared on both my sides. Oh, wow. That was, <laughs> and then that was lucky. Down. So I would never have guessed, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to brag like I'm a big hero or anything. But, it's but true. that did that did you did manage to fit that into tonight's conversation? <laughs> well, you kind of brought it up. How come you bring that? You you every mention show. that in every show. It's amazing <laughs> how, how well it fits. You know, it's funny. We had um, this little pal, big brother program. This guy's name was Ray. This young kid, and it was bizarre. Anytime I'd go out with him, like these crazy things would happen. And the one woman was like having a heart attack, and her car was rolling into the street the intersection, and all oh these cars gosh. are just honking at her. And no one's like, do, and I'm, I leap out and I'm running up to the car and I'm trying to get her conscious and then calling. And yeah, and it's bizarre. And when I'm with this guy, and I forget what had once happened. Oh, I had to go to a heroin recovery home in Chicago on the south side. And he, because he got kicked out of another home. There's a long story when I had to rescue him from drug dealers. Mm. But <laughs> that's a story. And he ended up in this heroin recovery home. And I he, come and visit me, Dave. And I pick him up. And I'm like, the, not only am I the only white guy around, there's not even any other minorities there other than African Americans. And it's poverty stricken. And there's kids throwing bricks at each other for fun in rubble. <laughs> I'm serious. And there's burnt out cars. Well, that can be fun. Burnt out cars. <laughs> just sitting there. So I'm like way out of my element here. And everyone's staring at me. Who's, yeah. the, who's the bald, fat, white guy? What's he yeah. doing here? Yeah. Yeah. And so I drive up to this heroin recovery home. And I have to get out of the car, run up there and buzz. I'm like, Hi, I'm here to get Ray. Let me in. Let me in. And they're, they're like, like, no, you can't come in. You have to wait out there. Like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I ran in the car. And then Ray comes out. No, no, he's an Indian person from, like, you know, India. 
And he's pretty dark, and he gets in the car, and I'm like, okay, Ray. He goes, Dave, you got to drive me around. we got to put in a job application. I'm like, Ray, I can't stay here. He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I have to leave. I can't stay here. I'm afraid. I have like, a bullseye on my forehead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, but Dave, you're like my hero. You saved the lady who had the heart attack. You saved the, me from the drug dealers. You are my hero. I'm like... I'm afraid I yeah. can't stay here. I go, Ray, look around. There's no jobs here. Where are we supposed to put on applications? <laughs> but I have to put on applications for my social security and for my to stay here. And I'm like, Ray, th- there's nowhere to work here. Okay? And so I'm like, I'll take you to lunch in another neighborhood. And we got out of there and ate in another place. And then I went back and dropped him off. And then I'm thinking, wow, I am racist after all. I didn't think I was that racist that I was. Oh, I don't. But, does uh, that mean racist? I don't know. So, just because you don't like to toss bricks for fun, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, each so, other. So, uh, weeks later, we were going to Ohio, and I we got off the highway in Indiana, and that a more uh, African American neighborhood, and we, we're in Burger King, and we're getting ready to order, and there's people coming up saying, "Oh, oh, your kids are so nice, they're so sweet," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, hi, how's it going?" And I suddenly look around, and I realize we're the only white family. Anywhere near in this neighborhood, hmm. we're in an African American neighborhood, and they're all, we're all talking, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm not racist." <laughs> so no, what you was, were just scared for your life. So yeah. what was the difference? Yeah. The poverty was the difference, right? I'm right. not racist. I'm classist. Oh, you're a classist. There you go. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. How did that relate to the story? I don't know, but it was a good story. Oh, it was. How yeah. you react? Under these kind of circumstances. Right. Right. Dennis, what would you do? <laughs> I'd go someplace warm so I wouldn't leave much of a footprint. Oh, hide. You're, hiding. you're telling us you're oh, not. Yeah. I'd yeah. cut off my feet okay. and so I wouldn't leave any footprint. <laughs> I, I figure by now I'm too old to fight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. know. You're never too old to fight. Mike, what would you do? Boy, I don't know. Have to be in that situation, I guess, to find out. Okay, you just have to react. How would you react? I don't yeah. know. You know, I guess you can't know that. Yeah, I'd be with the masses. I think I'd be with the masses, just running along in your dog cart, running headlong uh, toward where everybody else was going. Yeah, that's the first step. Yeah. Uh, one little paragraph I highlighted here. He's describing this jangling tumult and a smashed cart amid shrieks. And then, and overhead, the dawn was growing brighter, clear, steady, and calm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Transposing mm-hmm. crazy mankind with, yeah. oh, looks like life's going, nature's going to keep going. <laughs> the sun is coming up. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. You know what I mean? It's I, I do think about that sometimes. I'll think, um, gosh, you know, I'll go outside and I think, what a beautiful day. Man, it would be horrible if... I was at war somewhere is it on like such a beautiful day. A gone with the wind moment, and tomorrow is the yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to think, you know, and I—I I, bet there were times in Europe during World War II when the, the soldiers were probably thinking, "Wow, it's really beautiful here." These, you know, amidst all this oh, okay, carnage, yeah, all the splendor and stuff. It's beautiful here, and now we have to go to war. It's yeah. kind of it, that would really ruin a beautiful day. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I think yeah, it definitely would. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I mean, but I don't know. Would you rather be at war on a gray, stormy day, or on a, on a beautiful day? More appropriate on a gray day. 
You think you'd fight better on a gray day? Yeah, I'd be a little more moody and yeah, yeah. This part, um, the Martians did not advance in a body, but in a line, each perhaps a mile and a half from his nearest fellow. They communicated with one another by means of siren-like howls, running up and down the scale from one note to another, which had the sound like this: do 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 do. Come on, that was a good one, boys. So, the, so then London, they're crossing the river. Where's the Thunderchild? Here's the curate again. Exodus from London. Here we go. Oh, the cart, the women with the gun. Remember the two ladies on the cart and the gun? Oh, yeah. yeah. And they keep trying to go through the mob, and the mob is like slowing them down. And they. What happened to the ladies? The guys were going to steal it from her. Oh, yeah, and then there's this idea about the man writhing in dust among his scattered money, unable to rise. Yeah. For the yeah. wheels had broken his back, and his lower limbs lay limp. But he got run over by the cart because of his money. Yes. Right? That's a that's a common theme. Like, yeah, because those things won't help you. No. When there's Martians with heat rays marching, the yeah. money, like, well, there, there'll there be a scene in the, World War, in the um, 1953 version of War of the Worlds where the guy says, here, I'll give you, I yeah. know, it's what, I'll give you all this money if you take me and let me use your car. And the guy says, money's no good anymore. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that does, yeah. And so right. that is also in the book here. And then the, the uh, part here, terrible, without order, without goal, six million people unarmed and unprovisioned driving headlong. It was the beginning of the rout of civilization, the massacre of mankind. Which is a very great point in the musical version of War of the Worlds, which okay. incidentally was uh, narrated by Sir Richard Burton. Burton, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Quite excellent. And then comes the... Um, Sir Richard. He lets me call him Sir Richard. <laughs> the uh, Thunderchild, right? Yes. Did that sink a, a Martian? Yes. Did it blow one's legs out? It fell in the river. That's right. right. Which was a great series of scenes. The Ironclads, which were the... I don't know. I've never seen an ironclad. I, I really don't know much about ironclads. Mike, tell us yeah, about ironclads. Yeah, Civil War, Mike. You're... Yeah, Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. They look like low, like bugs floating on the river. Yeah, so, and they they just had metal plates mm-hmm. on top of them? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, at uh, one, of the, one of the battles along the river there in the Civil War, the Confederates thought they were uh, Martians and that they were being invaded <laughs> and started running headlong. Wow. <laughs> I did. I did not know that. Yeah, and the battle, the famous battle between the Merrimack and the Monitor, it's kind of a draw. And when a show would hit that thing, you would get a concussion, you bleed from the ears. Mm. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. And one of them got knocked out their steering, so it looked like they were turning around, or it was like temporarily damaged something. And the other ship thought they won, then it was leaving, so it turned around. Mm. So it was actually kind of a draw. Yeah. But book two, under the Earth, under the Martians. This is your red stuff. Yeah, all the Starts. red weed that's growing. Oh yeah, all over yeah. everything, being apparently. So they uh, brought yeah, what their seeds along? Yeah, they're trying to change the earth fauna, flora, flora and fauna. What's the difference? Flora is plants, and fauna is animals, animals. So yeah, they're trying to change Earth to make it more uh, to their liking. Kind of like terraforming. Yes. But they're Marsoforming, I guess you would say. <laughs> oh, didn't yeah. you find that kind of strange, though? I mean, think about this: 
they're conquered by the smallest things we have on the planet that can attack you. Yeah. And yet they're farming in a way. They're smart enough to do that, but yeah. they're not smart yeah. enough to prevent yes. uh, microbe attack. Yes, and why didn't they... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the gaping hole, is why didn't they think of that? It's Can't like, think of everything, I guess. I guess. there's one. There was one guy in charge, and he didn't... He forgot. <laughs> and so this is where they... Uh... And I'm sure they fired that Martian. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading this bit I, I highlighted. They took the fresh living blood of other creatures and injected it into their veins. Yeah. I've seen this being done. That's right, Mike. I That's forgot. what they did with the people. Yeah. yeah. What? So what is that? Yeah, they which didn't seems... have digestive systems. Yeah, what? Yeah, and that seems a little risky to me. You could get AIDS or something. Yeah, oh, I wouldn't yeah, go to another yeah. planet. Oh, wait, yeah. they do get yeah, I, I die from germs. I wouldn't go to Picture. another planet and and you know take the blood out of other animals and then inject it into my own veins. <laughs> but you couldn't eat them because you didn't have a way to digest them. Yeah, well, I guess you had to get the nourishment somehow. And then this bad science here, where he says men on Earth go happier, miserable if they have healthier, unhealthy livers and sound, but or sound gastric glands. That doesn't sound like modern day science to me. No, but you know the the uh, We're talking the average reader in 1897 was not so smart, so I'm <laughs> sure it got by them without and any problem. You're talking medicine pre World War One. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and in this part, the next place, in the next place, wonderful as it seems in a sexual world, Jeff, you might like this part. Oh, yeah. The Martians were absolutely without sex, <gasps> and therefore, and without and any... No, and therefore, no fun. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, without any of the tumultuous emotions that arise from that difference among men. And I have thought this. Hmm. When I was young, I remember thinking, we shouldn't have sexes, because I want... My friend, Be Beverly, don't say this on the air, but, <laughs> and this is causing anxiety in me because she doesn't like me. She likes the other guy. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking this exact thought. It would be better if we were asexual creatures. Yes. You wouldn't have horrible sexual crimes. I mean, they hate to get you wouldn't, serious. You wouldn't ruin your World of Worlds book by writing Janice Holtkamp's name. <laughs> yeah. Along yeah. the edge. Yeah. Which I did. See what I'm talking this about. This would have been a priceless piece of literature otherwise <laughs> but then we couldn't have jurassic park that well, asexual right because they reper they had the babies asexually yeah they used frog dna yeah and frogs can change sex mm -hmm. Ooh, they can some can yes that's some right. humans that can part too of the jurassic park yeah well <laughs> with, with a little help jeff you know, I was working on a client project today. I've, I've been working with uh, the, this one client in Rockford, and I'm building a thing for their safety department, and they have to a questionnaire, and it's still got the sex, male or female, checkbox on the form. Yeah, kind of old science, too. Yeah, I just feel <laughs> like that's this is really old school. <laughs> I adapt quickly. You do. Can't, can't you, you do. just change it to sex with yes or no? I I would think so, but you know it's a it's so it's a checkbox yes or you know it's male or female but I can think of about thirty different degrees of in betweenness. <laughs> I'm sorry, glad I can't. Yeah. All right. <laughs> 
So yeah, he kills the curate. Well, I forgot was with him for so long. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For many chapters. Right. He ends yeah. up killing him because he's going a little wacko, right? Yes, and, and then, he's afraid that he's going to alert the Martians. And I think Jen, Jeff then comes the artilleryman who says, "Yeah, the artilleryman comes, comes back." Oh, he came back. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, he had seen him earlier. And then he talks about the big plan, right? Right. We're going to mm, burrow into right. the ground. Mm. We're going to fight, right. not like Dennis, who's going to run to a tropical island. <laughs> with his Hawaii on my brain, with his small feet, <laughs> to not leave a footprint. I'm going to leave small footprints. And then comes dead London. Do they just stay in London? Ula ula. Yeah. Comment on that. Yeah. Well, you know the thing with the artillery man was I. I just thought of all the things he could be writing about. He wrote about his encounter with the curate, and he wrote about his encounter with this artillery man who who kind of was inspirational in a way, but also just kind of a nut. He, yeah. You know, he just encountered a lot of nuts as he went along the road, which which I thought, well, this is very realistic. Because I was out the other day, and there were just <laughs> no, nuts. Wanna, there yeah, were nuts wanna, everywhere. Yeah. I went to the mall. <laughs> mall is full of nuts. It's a nut house. Kind of is. I, 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 I just think the nuts stand out more. Than the normal people. The normal people, I don't even see. They're, like they're, they're invisible there. to me. It's like that comedian said: everyone on the roads either. Uh, yeah, they're either they're either um um cra- crazy or uh, they're either driving slower year than fast year. They're either stupid or or, or a maniac. Me, yeah, maniac. It it's, was it. Yeah, it was, was George it? Carlin. Was that Carlin? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The guy's either a jerk or a maniac. Yeah, if they're going or whatever, slower than you, they're jerks. If they're yeah. going faster, they're maniacs. Yeah. And so, yeah. I'm wondering, Jeff, if that's kind of where you're at. Right Maybe now that's with, where I'm with at. your fellow man. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the same thing happened with the narrator. Here. He didn't meet anybody that was the ladies that were sort cool. of had his their heads on. Yeah, the ladies correctly. Were, were cool. Yeah, they were armed, but they well, were he, cool. you know, he wrote it that way because he wanted to get extra dates. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, and then it kind of talks about Dead London and then the um, ending, which, was it anticlimactic? I think so. Well, yeah, the whole thing. But was it really? I mean, I'm not saying that very well. Uh, Did you like the bacteria ending? No. I would have liked to have seen something invented by man to have beaten him. But that's... Because I'm a big science fiction fan of things like Flash Gordon. And he's a totally different type of character than the narrator of the book here. Uh, he, he's a, a kick-butt, athletic... Yeah, yeah. More like Ray the artillery man. guy. And he fi- he's like Captain Kirk. He always finds a way to dodge the bullet yeah. and win. Whereas here, man doesn't dodge the bullet. He gets lucky in a crapshoot. Right. And the narrator's a spectator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, yeah. That's really all he is. He's a spectator. That's really quite different, I thought. And I remember that in the 1953 film, I liked it. Oh, that's so clever, bacteria. That is so smart, you know, that the author thought of that as the ending for this. When I read the book, I think I was looking to see if that was in it because of what that one person said about being like anti-God. And I'm like, well, then wait, how does it end? Oh, same way, the bacteria. 
Yeah. So I, so I don't think it struck me as bad then. When I watched the new film with Tom Cruise, it seemed anticlimactic at the end. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It did. So did you really not like the ending? Or I mean, isn't that a unique thing that he thought of that? Make it kind of cool then. You know, I, 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 I would, I would have liked a different ending. I agree. So I would have liked some other way for the Martians and to, Mike to, to be defeated. I have to amend what I said in that we've grown up in a different time. Right. And so mm-hmm. the simplistic attack at the end by the bacteria w- would have been phenomenal in terms of nobody ever thought of something simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As the yeah. world is spinning madly out of control, possibly this simple approach got the job done. Makes me wonder if maybe the publisher, maybe he had a different ending. Like all mankind gets wiped out. And the publisher <laughs> yeah, said, ah, that could be too- HG, and that's not going to fly. You got to come back with something. Where did Martians get wiped out? I got it. Bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not think he would have thought of that. Because um, it, it, was- it seems like a cop-out ending. I thought me. it was creative. I thought it was very clever. For the time, creative. But the fact that man didn't have to do anything and the fact that it's like we have all this worry, we had all this upheaval, but everything's going to be fine. Just relax, people. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and it gets us into a... It, it kind of left me with a false sense of security, like everything's going to be fine, when in fact, when the Martians really did invade in 1953... <laughs> <laughs> everything wasn't fine. Thirty eight for the radio show. Yeah, yeah. Everything wasn't fine. Well, should we briefly so, talk about anyway. the, anything else about the book? I'd like to just quickly talk about the radio show. Since it's sure, talk about the radio like show. Gonna, um, the one thing about my book, it talked about how the panic could happen. Well, everyone knows the background that they Wells did this radio drama. People who missed the opening because there was this other show on radio, and they tuned in late, like a sport event that ended or something, uh, didn't catch that it was fake, and they believed it was real. Right? Was he the first one to do that kind of first person? Mm-hmm. Not not first, you know, when they do fake news announcers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fake, fake news. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. For, there was the first topical. fake news. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first ones to do that. But what um, what I found interesting was, you know, there's always a question could you really have believed that? Or could it happen again? Well, in fact, did you know there were two other productions like that? Hmm. No. The Quinto one in 1940-something in which the people... And they, what's cool about them is, right, they set them all in the current area. Mm-hmm. So it's local stuff that's being attacked. They change mm. it, right? It was Webster Fields or something for him. and Yeah, and, for H.G. Wells. Yeah, yeah, and in Latin America, it was the places there. They burned down the radio station. They wow. were so angry. The mob, when they found out it was faked, and two people were killed. Wow. Yes, Absolutely true. They ran it again in 19, I think the 70s or something, in like Buffalo, New York, or somewhere around there. And again, people believed it. Lots of people. Yeah. But one of the things they point out in this book, too, is that um, there are these quotes that I read at school when I, on Halloween, when I play this a little bit and talk about it, is that they, uh, with again, World War II coming, one guy says, other listeners had translated what they were hearing into something that made sense. And so this guy said, I knew it was the Germans trying to gas us all. When the announcer kept calling the people from Mars, I just thought he was ignorant and didn't know that Hitler sent them. 
Mm-hmm. Again, this is 38, right, for yeah. the radio broadcast. The, annou- the announcer said a meteor had fallen from Mars. I was sure he thought that. But the back of my mind, I had the idea the meteor was just a camouflage. It was really like a, a zeppelin that looked like a meteor. You know, and this other guy says, I felt it might be the Japanese. They are so crafty. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That's my favorite wow. quote. They are crafty. <laughs> so even people who I guess. panicked made some logical yeah. kind of conclusion out I, I of guess. Uh, you know, uh, before you read that bit, I was just thinking, people are so dumb. <laughs> they are so gullible. They are so dumb. They were dumb back then, and they're dumb now. The stuff they believe, that they're willing to believe without any backup and without any facts or without checking their sources. So, But actually, when you read that little bits of what they're saying there, yeah, I guess so. I guess, I guess I'll give people a little bit of a break on that. Well, and this says here, the study he did of it, uh, a lack of critical ability, thinking ability, was perhaps the most obvious reason. And you, I think you just said that, right, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> Another reason suggested a set of beliefs that were consistent with, again, apocalyptic religious beliefs. Yeah, know. right. Yeah. Fear of technology or yes. the expectation the world was headed to disaster. Widespread feeling things are out of control. People had no, uh, you know, sense of being in control. <clears throat> Economic security, lack of it. Mm-hmm. Complexity of modern finance and government. This is all of the thirty-eight reaction. Yeah, which I think we're maybe seeing a little of that in our own time. Well, you know, I, that's a good point, and it makes me feel a little bit better about the time that we live in and how critical it seems to us now. It makes me think we've been through this. Many times before. There have been many, many times in the past of where people have thought change. terrible things are going to happen, whether it's, the, whether it's the turn of the century or some new technology or something that's going on, the car replacing horses or whatever. People or get all upset trucks. about it. Huh? Driverless trucks. Yeah. Displacing all those workers mm-hmm. that... And so I I have a feeling that maybe we're just going to be fine. Maybe the bacteria idea is actually pretty realistic. <laughs> we're just going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We just got to ride it out. We got to live with our fears, explore them a little bit, and just and deal with them. Nah. Nah. <laughs> Well, on that on that happy note, Dennis, <laughs> we'll wrap up this show. Let's all panic. Thanks, everybody, for listening Thanks to another for, episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Spine and Sprocket. And until then, uh, we'll see you at the movies. Can we say that? No, we don't have That's a, probably don't have a trademark. Slogan. Plus, this is a book review. Oh, we need a... Oh. We'll see you at the library. See you at the yeah. library. We'll yeah. see you at the mall, you knuckleheads. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Spine and sprocket.